This podcast is brought to you by Voice and Vision, bringing help, hope, and healing to individuals, families, and communities affected by mental illness, addictions, and disabilities in southeastern Pennsylvania. Financial support for this podcast is provided by a Veterans Trust Fund grant from the Pennsylvania Department of Military and Veterans Affairs. Welcome to Untold Valor, a podcast with a unique focus on veterans, featuring stories of courage, recovery, perseverance, and strength. Listen to hear veterans share their perspectives on what it's like to battle mental health challenges, combat addictions, and overcome other adversities unique to those who have served. Welcome back into another edition of Untold Valor, and we're excited to have another guest this week here on the show. We're going to be talking with John Bird, and he's going to join us along with Reverend Brenda chat about John's experience and the things he's gone through. So as always, we appreciate your time here on the podcast. And don't forget, if you need some help, stay tuned to the end of the show. We've got some information for you that can help you along the way. If you've got questions and need some help about your journey post-retirement, things of that nature, you can find all that information again at the end of the podcast. Reverend Ben, welcome in, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How you doing? I'm hanging in there, doing pretty good. Excited to talk with John Bird this week. Mr. Bird, how are you, sir? I'm fine. I'm doing fantastic. Good to have you here. And and my understanding, you guys are pals. You guys know each other? Yes. Yes. I know Pastor Ben through cutting grass for the church, and then I finally wound up joining the church. Oh, I got you. Okay. Well, John, tell us a little bit about your history. Uh, So were you in the military? Yes. And uh, I was, uh, they woke me up four o'clock in the morning, said, Uncle Sam needs you. And they took me to Fort Benning, Georgia. That was October 1963. Oh, wow. And so Army? Yes. I was was sworn in at Fort Benning, Georgia. And I took my basic training at Fort Gordon, Georgia. I was there for four and a half weeks. Right after that, that's when John F. Kennedy got killed. Oh, wow. we were supposed to be going to the rifle range. We never made it because they told us to clean our weapons so we might be going to war. Right after John F. Kennedy was uh, assassinated and, and uh, they had his funeral and all of that, they did take us back out to uh, Bivouac, they call it, and we went to finish our basic training. So they let us go home for 30 days. Then I was shipped back to Fort Lee, Virginia for my AIT. After I did AIT. I was at Fort Lee, Virginia, and I was just one day, I was just messing around at the gym, giving me some exercise because I was a former superstar basketball player in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They want to try to keep me there to stay, stay on the base, but the, the post commander said, no, we need soldiers to, to fill the soldiers that we're going to have to take out of Germany to go to Vietnam, even though we were just supporting. Right. So, they sent me from Fort Lee, Virginia, back home again for another 30 days. Then I went to uh, on a boat for 11 days, which I was sick for 10. And I wound up in Frankfurt, Germany. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then they shipped me out of Frankfurt, Germany to a little town called Babenhausen. That's about 50 miles south of uh, Munich, mm. Germany. Yeah. So... To, to back up a little bit, when I was at Fort Lee, Virginia, they my MOS was five five two. That's uh, they taught me how to fix a tank phone, how to camouflage a tank phone in the time of war. A tank phone. Tank phone. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Like, uh, for gasoline, 
stuff like that for the yeah. for the vehicles. Okay. So when I get to Frankfurt, Germany, they ship me out. They TDY, what they call TDY, to they needed some more men's at Babenhaus in Germany. So when I get to Babenhaus in Germany, the first day I was there, they put me on on um, on guard duty. So I'm on guard duty walking around, and I met this guy. He, we talked for a few minutes. We did our after it was over with. He was telling me about that the Babenhausen had a basketball team. I said, well, I'd like to join that. So I, the next day I inquired, just behold, they let me try for the team. I made the team. So now I ain't got to pull guard duty. I don't have to pull <laughs> KP and none of that because I was on the basketball team. Well, that sounds like a win. It, it was a win now. Did you explain to you really what happened? In the meantime, the guy that was in charge of the AYA, I don't know what you understand the AYA, AYA is people that's in the service and they tend, they bring their kids over. That's the American Youth Association. They needed somebody to run that program. I volunteered for it and got it. And I stayed in the AYA training the kids, the sports programming for five different bases in Germany. Oh, wow. Now, how long were you in the Army uh, all total? I was in the Army all total. Three years and one month, four days and 13 hours. Nice. Gotcha. And, uh, and and so how was your experience after? And I know, Ben, you've got some questions you want to jump in here as well, because uh, a lot of what we're trying to do is, is talk about the experiences that veterans have after and challenges they may face. I can go there. After I got out the service, yeah. I was playing ball. I led USERA, what they called uh, USERA was the name of the league over in Germany. I wanted to play professional basketball. So I came out, got a got a tryout for the Cleveland Cavaliers. In the meantime, I had an accident in the car and tore my knee up. Oh no! So I was out of out of whack for a year. Just I got out of the service in 1966, October. I was out of service until 1968 with my leg. But what really took me under and started me doing bad things that I was supposed to be done is when the doctor operated on my knee through, through the accident, he said I would never walk again or either I only have 50% of my leg. Mm. But that didn't happen. I did my own research running in Philadelphia the, and, and up, up the hill, Georgia's hill, every day rain shines, need us so I got my strength back in my leg. I did try for the Baltimore Bullets, but they looked at my record that they turned me down. Mm, wow. So I started playing basketball in Delaware County with the Franklin Mint. I led that I led Delaware County League and all of that. And uh, after that, all this time while I was in the service and going through all the things I went through, I never drink, I never smoke. I wait till I turn 35 years old to start smoking and doing the little drugs. Mr. John, um, when you when you found the, um, your point of your life and you began to turn to substance, what, what ultimately led you to that? Was it because of your injury or was it because anything, maybe some post-traumatic things from the military or just some basic things in your environment? What, what caused you to start doing that? 
the, the basic thing that really started, I never drink. So once I got with a bunch of guys that playing ball and they, after they finished playing ball, sweating and going, we go to the bar, drink beer and all of that. And then I was introduced to, to drugs. So it wasn't anything that the military did for, did for me because they asked me to stay in Germany to do the AYA program because my team in Babenhausen, they won the championship out of five different concerns over in Germany. Hmm. So, uh, Mr. John, uh, at what point did you find that um, you kind of lost control with the um, drugs? And uh, if you don't mind telling us what, what substance you were using. Well, I started out with drinking beer. Then the beer went to marijuana. The marijuana went to cocaine. And I thought that the beer and the marijuana would make everything okay. But it seems like the more beer and the more marijuana I used, it was, uh, wasn't doing me any good. Like everything was still falling apart. So I switched over to cocaine. I can identify with that snowball effect. Um, it seems like one thing is a um, gateway to another, and that's pretty much the kind of a trend of addiction. So at what point did you find out you lost control? Well, after that, I started to try to find a, a decent job, and every time I go to apply for a decent job, the first thing they say, well, you got to take a drug test. So... I knew I couldn't pass the drug test because I knew what I was doing. So one day I went by this drug house and we were sitting there talking. I get up to go to the bathroom. On the way down from the bathroom, I fell and fractured my elbow. So the guys want to take me to the hospital. I said, no, no, I'll be okay. And on the way out, tell them I'll be okay. It had to be the good Lord. Some guy come on and said, man, come on. I, I know where you can go and get help. He took me to a drug program. And that's why I stayed for a year to get clean and start my life all over again, outside of meeting my wife. So, Mr. John, in, in the midst of this, um, did you relapse or was it like, you know, your first time in, you were straight? No, I never relapsed because the, the, the way I was when I went in there, I, I knew I needed help because... I wasn't thinking right. Everything wasn't going right. The, the way I had planned it, I wanted to go right. It was nothing, nothing of the above that was helping me. So for that year that I went to the drug program, it really helped me. And I thought about a lot of time, but I think I should go try one more time. But by me going to the 12-step program, they said, beware of your surroundings and and where you where you where you went before? So yeah, every time I would think that. about that, I didn't go. I I wouldn't. I didn't go back. I hear you. I hear you. Um, it sounds like um, you went through an episode, uh, but it seems like you were pretty much uh, got it together pretty quickly, which some people don't are not that fortunate. But Mr. John, um, I know that you're currently blind. So when did when did that start happening? And I want to hear some of your connection about the Blind Veterans Association, some things that you uh, were involved with that. Can you okay. tell us about that? Okay. When, when did you find out you were going blind, first of all? Okay. This is what happened when I found out that I had glaucoma, which was slow the process of going blind. Mm. Man, me and my wife, 
she she was working and I was working for a medical company driving. And this particular Sunday, she went to work and I was going to pick her up. In the meantime, I walk outside my house where we was living at the time and the kids had put graffiti on the side of the house. So I knew that she hated that with a passion. So I went down in the basement, got some paint and painted over the graffiti. Mm-hmm. So when I told, I went to pick her up, I said, honey, I got something to tell you. You ain't going to like it. So I told her about the graffiti. And when we get home, she said, I thought you took the graffiti. I was, I did. She said, you know what? Something wrong with your eyes. You didn't cover it up good enough. You going to the doctor tomorrow. She was off. So she took me to to University of Pennsylvania's eye clinic. They introduced me to Dr. Lou. Dr. Lou told my wife that I was the most colorblind person that he had ever seen in life and that I had glaucoma to go to Will's eye and get checking out. So I took a week, I took four days off of my job. I went down to Will's eye. That's when they told me I really had, he said, with the pressure in my eye at the particular time that I should have been blind uh, the next day. Wow. My pressure in both of my eyes, one was 30 and the other was 29. And he said, once you get past 25, that runs the awkward nerve in your eye. And that's what makes you go blind. Hmm. Okay. Right? When, when, when did you connect with the Veterans Blind Association? How did you okay. After I, after I went to Will's Eye, my insurance was paying for everything. And in 2011, I told him I had to retire from the job I had. So they said, well, you can only keep your insurance for 60 days. So I went to the VA and they told me, well, we can pay for your medicine, but you you can see a doctor and you have to pay for your medicine. So I said, fine, that's fine. I'll do that. As long as I had some way to control my, my glaucoma. In the meantime, to show you how God works, I was standing in line to pay a $50 bill that I had got the medicine for. And this guy named Mr. Uh, Stillwell, he was in charge of the Blind Association. And he heard me and another guy talking, and we was talking about glaucoma. So he hit me on the shoulder and brought me over and said, look, come on, go with me. He took me upstairs, had me examined, and doctor, another doctor named Dr. Miller said, yes, his eyesight is real bad. So they put me on 100%. And I've been going back and forth since then, and that was in 1990. And in 2006, they said that I was a bona fide blind veteran, okay? Legally blind veteran, I meant. Yeah. When you say 100%, you mean 100% disability, correct? Yes, I get 100%. Well, they when I first went there, they only gave me 70. But being a legally blind veteran, you get all the benefits. Right. Can you share a little bit about your fellowship with the Vine Veterans Association, what you guys yeah. do and what you stand for? And just yeah. let folks know that there's some uh, possibilities and some opportunities out there for other guys listening that may be blind or going blind. Another thing that happened just before that, before I was considered as a legally blind veteran, Congress had passed a bill stating that you're a veteran and you got an honorable discharge and you got a disease that cannot be cured that you can apply for help through the Veterans Association. Now, getting back to the blind thing, Mr. Stillwell, they 
told us about a group. We got a group with 37, well, now it's 35. We lost two of our members. We meet every second Wednesday of every month from 1130 to 1 o'clock. And we talk about different things and how how veterans are uh, help. We got an association nationwide, and the headquarters is in Alexander, Virginia, which is I'm planning on going to the National League in August. It's going to be in Alexander, Virginia this year at the headquarters. Sounds good. Sounds good, Mr. John. Well, Mr. John, I've known you for quite a while, and for a blind man, you see better than some folk, okay? <laughs> you get around better than some folk that can see. Well, that's, that's because your senses have, have have risen to the occasion. Right. When you first come and they have the examine, they find that you're legally blind. They got all kinds of things to help you for as a, a seeing, and they got classes for you. They got schools that you go attend how to use your stick. Most people don't know from the right, from the left side to the right side, we call the left side 10 o'clock, okay? If you bump with your stick and hit something at 10 o'clock, you go to two o'clock. If you go from 10 o'clock to two o'clock, you're always walking in a straight line. Oh, okay. Okay? Now, I just taught this young lady here about the, about the uh, elevator. Now, I don't know what you gentlemen know or not, if you're riding the elevator and you hear the bell say bing, okay, what did that, what did that bing mean? That means if it bings one time, that means the elevator is going up. If it bings two times, that means the elevator is going down. Hmm. Interesting. Okay? And this program that we are so that I'm associated with for the legally blind veterans, they teach you how to even show your wife or your girlfriend or anybody. A lot of restaurants know it already, how to put your food on the plate, okay? Now, if you got meat, 12 o'clock. You got vegetables, 3 o'clock. You got starch, 6 o'clock. It sounds like, Mr. John, that, you know, obviously reaching out and getting that help just, you know, benefited you greatly. And, and that's really what a lot of veterans struggle with is asking for help or knowing where to turn. So we certainly appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I had uh when I first went into the service, I hated it because I was getting ready to go to college. But as I go through life now, I'm grateful for the government and the service that taught me all these things that I probably would never would have got in life. Well, okay. at the at the end of the day, do you have a message for other veterans who might be struggling and they're just not sure where to ask for help or, or even if they can ask for help, right? Sometimes that's the hardest part is just asking for help. Right. Well, if you live in the Philadelphia area, and you're a veteran, and even, even if you're not blind, going blind, but you have problems and drugs or anything, you want to try to commit suicide, if you go to 38th and Woodland Avenue, they got a veterans hospital there for anything that could be done to uh, help you. Now, the phone number for that particular thing is area code 215-823. Five eight zero zero, and they'll lead you to anywhere you want to go. Well, I thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast, Mr. John. We certainly appreciate it, Reverend Ben. Thanks for hanging out. Anything to follow up? No, I just appreciate you, Mr. John, for taking the time to share your experience with us, and I'm sure that somebody listening will benefit from your experiences. Thank you very much. 
I appreciate your time, Mr. Johnny. Absolutely. And okay. well, yeah, and we're going to have some more information here pop up at the end of the podcast in just a second. So if you've got some questions, need some help, as always, make sure that you reach out to folks at voiceandvisioninc.org. Uh, we're going to give that number again that John gave out, as well as give us some other links as well to check out the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Untold Valor by Voice and Vision. We hope you found the information and resources discussed today helpful. As always, thank you for listening and for your support. Remember to stay connected with us through our various social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Don't forget to visit the website, voiceandvisioninc.org. That's voiceandvisioninc.org, where you can sign up for our blog and find free resources and information on upcoming events, webinars, workshops, and get support. You can also access our free help and hope guide for individuals and families struggling with substance use and addiction. If someone you know is struggling, please reach out for help because you and your life matter. Remember, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available to you at any time by dialing 988. We are all ambassadors of hope and recovery. And if you want to share your story, please contact us. Compure Corps is also looking for veteran mentor volunteers and veteran participants. To find out more information about Compure Corps, please call 610-541-0790. That's 610-541-0790. You can find all the links and contact information for the resources mentioned on today's episode by checking the description and the show notes section of your app. Thank you again for tuning in and for your support. Until next time, this has been Untold Valor.